what does God want to do to me? What does God want to do to me? What does God want to do to you? You showed up this morning. You're anticipating something. I don't know what. Maybe you're anticipating comfort for grief. Maybe you're fighting a temptation that no one knows about. Maybe there's a decision that you just don't know whether to go to the right or to the left. Why are you here? What does God want to do? In summation, what the Beatitudes tell us is God's will for you. God wants to bless you. God wants to bless me. God wants to bless us. Nine times in this brief passage that we call the Beatitudes, we read that word blessed. It's the introduction really to Jesus' ministry. If you back up, I hate chapter divisions, so if you back up into the end of chapter 4, Jesus has been traveling uh, a good bit uh, by foot, and he's been healing people. Uh, he's been casting out demons. Um, he's been kind of, in a sense, kind of putting on a show. Um, to stir up people's expectations. And this is the first time that he sits down and has an extended conversation with the people that have been moved thus far by his ministry. And here's what he says, I want you to be blessed. Um, I grew up in rural Mississippi uh, the rule was you never sat on the first three rows because the preacher would spit on you. You didn't get a sense of blessing. You, you, you just didn't. I, you know, I, mean, I, I got a lot of other things including Jesus there, but you didn't get a sense that God was anything other than disappointed in you. And Jesus begins by saying, I want to bless you. I am here that you might be blessed. I am here to open the gates and show you the way to God's blessing. Follow me. Follow me. And in chapter 4, verse 25, it says that great crowds were following him. And so now he's going to talk to them. And what he's going to do is he's going to pick up on a theme that begins in the book of Genesis. In the Abrahamic covenant, the first great covenant that God makes with man, he, he appears to Abraham and he says, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great. Here we are 3,000 plus years later and we're still talking about Abraham so that you will be a blessing. By the way, you're never blessed just to be blessed. You're blessed to be a blessing. I'm blessed to be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so here we are today. 
gathered along with literally billions across the globe because we've been blessed. And God started that way back when. It's the heart of God. The Lord spoke to Moses in Numbers chapter 6, and he says, Speak to Aaron, Aaron the high priest, and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. The second large covenant in the Old Testament is the Davidic covenant where God promises to David that a king is coming out of his lineage, a king who will reign forever. And in responding to that, David says this, For you, O Lord God, have spoken. Oh, I like that. You have spoken. I like that reverb earlier. Lane, can I get some of that? I'm a short guy. I need all the help I can get. You, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. God is in the business of blessing. There are 150 psalms. And if you go to the very first psalm, I was a leadoff batter back when I played ball because nobody could pitch to me because I was so small. I walked a lot. My own base percentage was off the charts. I couldn't hit the ball out of the infield, but nobody could pitch to me. So I love leadoff batters. The leadoff hitter in the Psalms, Psalm 1, blessed. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. You see, God starts off the hymn book of the Bible with I want you to be blessed. And here's the road to blessing. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in all of Scripture. And it begins like this. You're probably onto this by now. <laughs> blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. I could go on and on. Let me give you one more from Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul starts a run-on sentence. And here's how he begins it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Everyone. That's what's coming for you as a child of God. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
God wants to bless me. Now, I want you to say that with me, okay? It's real hard. It's uh, one, two, three, four, five. That's as far as I can count. That's five words. God wants to bless me. Can you say it with me? God wants to bless me. Okay. Who's had their coffee? Okay, a few of you. Okay, we need you to lead on this, all right? God wants to bless me. Now, turn to somebody sitting around you, okay? And say it to them. God wants to bless me. God wants to bless me. He wants to bless me. Now, we live in a broken world, so uh, God has to break through some stuff to get to that blessing. Uh, how many of you watched part or all of the coronation of uh, King Charles III this weekend? Yeah, how many of you are living in denial right now? You, you actually did, but you don't want to admit it. It was a big deal, right? Uh, it's been 70 years since they had a coronation in England. You know what God wants to give you? What do you think God wants to give you? Look in verse 3 of Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. Uh, Josh talked back uh, last week about... Jesus' message that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, actually, John the Baptist started in chapter 3 of Matthew with the same message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Get ready for the coronation. Get ready for the coronation. And Jesus begins the Beatitudes here with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now drop down to verse 10 of chapter 5. And this is called, this is where you, you learn how I'm educated beyond my intelligence. This is called an inclusio, or other words, a bookend. Verse 10 is a bookend. Uh, verse 3 begins the Beatitudes with the promise of the kingdom of heaven. Verse 10 Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. God wants to give you, God wants to give me a kingdom. We are co-heirs with Christ. If we have placed our faith in Jesus and been born again, we are co-heirs with Christ. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He sits down at the right hand of the Father. And guess what? You're part of the court if you're in Christ. What else does God want to do? Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You never know. You never know on what day you're going to desperately need to be comforted. And the Lord wants to bless you. Even when you mourn, He wants to come alongside you and comfort you. Verse 5. 
blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There's that idea of inheritance again. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Jesus is actually quoting from Psalm 37 five times in Psalm 37. The psalmist writes about God's people inheriting the earth, uh, and not this earth. I mean, truth be told, who wants to inherit this earth? But a new earth, a new heavens and a new earth that has been made new. That is our inheritance that God wants us to have. If you are not a follower of Christ this morning and you're here, um, there's some really good swag he wants to give you. <laughs> Big time. Um, true confession, uh, this doesn't speak well for me, but um, I grew up in a certain generation and I'm not a Beatles guy. I respect the Beatles, I like the Beatles, I love the Stones. And probably the most well-known song in the Rolling Stones archive is, I can't get no satisfaction. All right, I didn't sing it for you this morning. Something for you to give thanks for. Look here at verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That's why Mick Jagger can't get any satisfaction. God bless him. <laughs> I've actually prayed for Mick many times. He could sure put on a show filled by the Holy Spirit in heaven. Blessed are those who... Hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be satisfied. You know, for many of us, the reason we're not satisfied, and if, if I were to ask for a you know, show of hands of, hey, how many of you are satisfied with just kind of the way life is going and things? There'd be a few. But really, wouldn't for most of us, wouldn't we feel like there's something missing and that we're not satisfied? And maybe we're feeding ourselves with junk food. Maybe that's why I'm not satisfied, is I'm feeding myself with junk food. Verse 7, God wants to give us mercy. He wants to give us mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This is the core of the good news of great joy that we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. The God of all comfort, the Father of mercies, wants to pour out mercy on you and on me. The swag continues in verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They shall have access to God. If we had time to jump into Hebrews, uh, we can see where we are given the privilege of approaching God directly because of what Christ has done for us. We have immediate access to the Almighty. Uh, verse 9, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Son, I don't know who you guys, I don't know who you're sons of. Um, some of you would be very proud of your dads. Uh, some of you maybe not. That's just the way it is in a broken world. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. 
And then that bookend in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, how do I unwrap these gifts that God wants to give me? How do I do that? How do I do that? If you, if you want to swipe to verse 20, or if you have a Bible, if you want to look at that, Jesus throws down a gauntlet here. You see, the power brokers in the religious structure of Israel at that time were the scribes who were kind of the seminary professors, the Bible college teachers. Uh, they were the scholars uh, in the Old Testament law. And then the Pharisees were lay people who, they would have made really good Baptists, to be honestly, honest with you. I, I, I'm, I'm a Baptist in background, so don't anybody stone me. And Jesus says in verse 20, you know those guys you're supposed to be looking up to? You know the power brokers in the religious structure? In verse 20 of chapter 5, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa. Strong statement. Jesus begins with blessing, and now he wants his audience to hear and see a contrast between what they see in their religious culture and what God wants to see in their hearts. When John the Baptist began in, in Matthew 3, he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In chapter 4, verse 17, when Jesus takes up the, the baton, he says the exact same words, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Anybody come here to repent today? Can I get a witness? Somebody want to share a testimony? No, probably not. Probably not. Josh did a good job of talking about this last week. Repentance means to change your mind. In Philippians 2, Paul puts it like this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have the mind of Christ. Jesus doesn't want me to have a religious mind, if you will. He wants me to have his mind. He wants me to have his mind. Um, Graham has an office at Fort Worth Coffee Company. Um, and uh, I don't know if you, you know how that works, but there's kind of an outer area that just the regular folks can go to. And then there's a door. And in order to get to the inner sanctum, you have to have a fob. And so I often find myself standing at the door, knocking. I don't have the fob. I can't get into the inner sanctum. Jesus is telling us in the Beatitudes how to get into the inner sanctum. The fobs, the keys to the kingdom. The keys to the kingdom. In verse 3, he identifies it as poverty. Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
You see, Jesus enriches me when I am bankrupt. When I am spiritually bankrupt. Do you know what caused Satan to fall? Pride. Pride. He was not spiritually bankrupt. He was full of himself. Jesus enriches me when I am bankrupt, when it's not all about me and look at my credentials. God thinks highly of me when I don't think highly of myself. Oh, let me say that again. That's pretty good. God thinks highly of me when I don't think highly of myself. True confession, I'm a recovering Pharisee. I've been recovering for 40 years now. I have days that are not great days. But I'm recovering. I at least recognize the problem. And the problem faces me in the mirror, you see. Because I'm a prideful little man. And Jesus says, if you want the keys to the kingdom, it begins right here. When you're poor in spirit, when you realize you are not enough, God is not impressed. I may be impressed, and as a matter of fact, I am impressed with quite a few of you. But it's the poor in spirit that are going to receive the blessing of God. It's those who know they have a need. Do you know you have a need? Do you know you have a need? If you're married, ask your spouse. They'll tell you. <laughs> if you have kids, ask your kids. They'll tell you. Kids, if you have a parent, don't even go there. <laughs> Godly poverty. Jesus enriches me when I am bankrupt of spirit. When I realize that I am not good enough. I am not good enough. I am older than most of the people in this room. I've been preaching the Bible for over 40 years. I have a seminary degree. All the stuff. And I am not good enough before a perfectly holy and righteous God. The second key is Godly grief. Godly grief. Jesus offers to comfort me and to comfort you when we mourn. What breaks you? What breaks you? Um, I, I confess that during the football season, I, I used to be broken by the Cowboys, but I gave up about 20 years ago. Uh, I'm an Ole Miss graduate, and now I live and die by every football game. It can mess up three days of my life. Amen. <laughs> I'm broken by the wrong thing. I'm, I'm broken by the wrong thing. Blessed are those who mourn. Jesus is not talking about your favorite team losing. He is talking about the heartbreak of living in a corrupt, broken, fallen world where things don't work the way God intended. Do I mourn? 
Do I mourn? It's a key to the kingdom is to mourn over the brokenness of this world. Godly humility is the next key. Godly humility is the next key. This is, this is a really big one. In verse 5, blessed are the meek. How many in here want to, do you want to really be meek? Meek sounds like weak, you know, it rhymes with weak, and that's kind of the way we tend to run it through our minds. You know who's described as meek? Jesus. The word's only used four times in Scripture. Twice it's used of Jesus. You want to be like Jesus? Jesus is meek. It is the opposite of self-assertiveness and self-interest. Well, that just shot me down right there. Godly humility. And the Lord says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There's an inheritance for the meek. Jesus gives me an inheritance when I don't act like I deserve one. When I don't have an entitled spiritual attitude that God owes it to me to do for me all the things I want him to do for me. Because the very heart of the gospel is that the suffering of one may change the lives of many. And so sometimes, sometimes God doesn't give me what I want and I have to receive it because he may be doing something greater and more lasting than my temporary happiness. Godly humility. A godly hunger, verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake, for they shall be satisfied. Jesus fills me up when I'm hungry for his menu. When I'm hungry for his menu, privately, personally, and publicly. Jesus is going to teach in the next chapter Thy kingdom come. Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what it is to hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's to pray for God's will to be done. Whatever that will is, that his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That opens up the blessing for your heart and mind. A, uh, a few years ago, an old friend of ours named Ken, he was uh, on his way back home to uh, Oklahoma City uh, from Dallas. He was rear-ended by a young man, and the young man was driving a beige pickup truck. Keep an eye out for that. Um, <laughs> they pulled to the side of the road, but it was a little dangerous. There was an HOV lane there. So the young man suggested they pull down to the next exit where it would be safer. 
There they would exchange phone numbers and insurance information. Ken agreed, and that was the last he saw of the young man. Guy just drove right off. Ken and I talked by phone and exchanged several text messages about this, and we shared a laugh over the fact that justice was, in Ken's words, God's department. And when he said that, I sent him this text reply, blessed are the merciful, and all that irritating stuff. <laughs> Mercy can be terribly irritating. It can be terribly irritating. Because the truth is, I don't want to show mercy in some cases. But Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Jesus shows me mercy when I show others mercy. If I refuse to show others mercy, we have a problem. As a matter of fact, when Jesus teaches us to pray the Lord's Prayer in chapter 6, the only commentary he has at the end of the prayer is this. If you don't forgive others, your Father in Heaven will not forgive you. That's deep waters. I've never been able to plumb them. I certainly can't do it in this moment. But I can tell you it is really, really, really important to God that His people be merciful. How would mercy change the way I view anger? Jesus is going to talk about that later in chapter 5. How would mercy affect the way I view anger? How would mercy change the way I view divorce? Jesus is going to talk about that in chapter 5. Later on in chapter 5, he's going to talk about revenge. How would mercy in my spirit change the way I approach revenge? Jesus talks about enemies. If I were merciful, how would that change the way I view my enemies? And then in chapter 7, the Lord says, Judge not lest you be judged. How would mercy change the way I view my judgments of other people? Now Jesus has really gone to meddling, hadn't he? He has a way of doing that. But what he's saying is, if you want to have the blessing of God, mercy is not optional. Mercy is not optional. And then verse 8, godly purity. Godly purity. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. They shall see God. Now, there is something in the Sermon on the Mount that is vital to understanding everything that Jesus teaches. It is the contrast between the religious culture of Jesus' day and the man on the street. As a matter of fact, in chapter 23 of Matthew, Jesus would say this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! 
For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you outwardly, that's the key word, you outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, if you don't want to go to Matthew 23, you can go to Matthew 6, which is a little closer at hand. In Matthew 6, chapter 1, uh, Jesus says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And he goes on in verse 5 to repeat that. And he talks about those who practice righteous, righteous acts externally to be seen by others. And again in verse 16, to be seen by others. And Jesus pronounces this judgment. They have received their reward in full. They've received their reward in full. Um, I preach, teach, and pastor. And I think if most pastors were given truth serum, we would have to confess there are times that we care a whole lot more about what you think about what we say and do than about what God thinks. That's the nature of the fallen beast. I've been worried for 48 hours because I've had to play Ant-Man. You know Ant-Man, right? Ant-Man is a regular sized dude. He hits a button and all that he is is compressed into this tiny little ant-sized dude. I got the Beatitudes, okay? I got the full-blown, we could spend weeks on the Beatitudes. And I've got to shrink this down <laughs> into this tiny little ant of a sermon. And I've been worried about that. And I don't think I've been worried that I was going to let God down, to be honest with you. And Jesus might be whispering in my ear, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount with a terrible warning. In Matthew 7, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. There's that phrase again, the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The Lord is not interested in my credentials. He's not interested in my performance. He is interested in my heart. He is interested in my soul. He wants to change me from the inside out. Because that's where the blessing comes from. That's what opens up the keys to the kingdom. And there's one last one I'll touch on today. It's verse 9. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. They shall be called sons of God. Peacemaking is costly. Peacemaking is costly. In Colossians, Paul puts it like this, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, Christ, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Peacemaking is costly. It's costly. It costs something for you and I to be peacemakers. It costs Jesus everything to make peace with a holy God so that you and I could be offered the keys of the kingdom. So that you and I could be offered the blessings of God an inheritance, the kingdom of heaven, access to the Lord, mercy for when we fail because we will fail. Anybody here fail? Thank you. I love you, Karen. Massive failure right there. <laughs> Lest you be overwhelmed by this message, I want to give you a really quick overview of a, an Old Testament character from the book of Genesis. His name was Jacob. Jacob the trickster. Jacob was the son of Isaac and the grandson of Abraham. He had heard his whole life about the promise of God to Abraham that I will bless you and you will be a blessing. And Jacob was kind of greedy for some of that. He wanted some of that, and he used all kinds of means to make sure he got some of what his grandfather got. He manipulated his big brother Esau out of the birthright, and in the birthright, the guy who has the birthright gets two portions of the inheritance, and he manipulated his big brother to give away the birthright so that he would inherit a double portion of blessing. Jacob went on to lie to his dying father, Isaac, to get something that was really very important in the day called the blessing. And he tricked his father into blessing him instead of Esau. As a result, he was a fugitive from his brother Esau for many, many years. And he finally got a call from God to return home and try to reconcile with his brother Esau. He was so afraid that he split his camp into two portions so that if Esau came out and destroyed part of the family, part would get away. And he sent even his wives ahead of him and his children ahead of him. And it says in Genesis 32, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day, an all-night wrestling match. 
And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him, and Jacob tapped out. Actually, he didn't tap out. The man said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Maybe the one redeeming trait in Jacob was that he desperately wanted God's blessing. He went about it the wrong way. But he wanted the blessing of God that had been given to his grandfather, Abraham, and passed from Abraham to Isaac, and now Jacob wanted to inherit that blessing. And so we know God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'd like to call you this morning to be a Jacob. You may have screwed up so many ways that we don't have time. It might take a, might take a book to write all the ways you've screwed up. I probably don't even want to know. The grace of God is big enough to cover that. Because Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. He is our peace. He is the Prince of Peace. He wants to pour out His mercies on you because He is mercy incarnate. And He wants to pour out on you the blessing of God. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that each of us from this day forward would strive to be poor in spirit. That we would walk with a poverty of soul, with a bankruptcy of spirit, because we're weary of our own weak and feeble attempts at true goodness. So empty of self and so empty-handed of self-righteousness and self-justification. We pray that you would teach us to rest only in your absurd and undeserved grace, that each of us may be possessed by and in possession of the everlasting kingdom of God. We ask through Christ our Lord. 